Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of The Biz, the Business Integrity School. And I am so excited to share with you that today we have Dina Howe with us. Welcome, Dina. Thank you so much, Cindy. It's so good to have you here. I've known Dina for a while, uh, but let me tell you the rest of you about Dina so that you get to know, if you don't already, a little bit about her background and her career. Dina has had an extraordinary, and that's to put it lightly, 30-year career in business. She worked for 22 of those years at Procter & Gamble, where she pioneered the field of shopper marketing and served as SVP over global media and brand offer operations. She retired from P&G in December of 2010 and went on to serve for five years as the worldwide president and CEO of Saatchi & Saatchi X. That's a multinational communications and advertising agency network. It had over 12 offices in nine different countries. And in that role, Dina succeeded our now very own Andy Murray, who went on after his stint at Saatchi and Saatchi uh, to do many things. And now, as you know, is the founder and executive chair of the Walton College Consumer Centric Leadership Initiative. Now, Dina, after she retired, retired as CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi, began serving on the board of Spinmaster, and that's where she still serves today, and she chairs the Human Resources Committee there. Spinmaster is a publicly traded company, and it is a leading global toy and children's entertainment company, creates play experiences through innovative toys, entertainment franchises, and digital games, and some of the best-known brands are things like Paw Patrol, Air Hogs, Hatchimals, and Gund. Some of my favorites, actually. I really <laughs> liked Hatchimals, I have to say. <laughs> that company, Spinmaster, has over 1,800 employees, 28 offices globally, and they distribute products in more than 100 different companies. Throughout her career, despite being very busy, she has always focused on giving back. She served over 16 years on the board of Give Kids the World. It's a nonprofit organization that's focused on providing magical, cost-free vacations for very critically ill children and their families. And she was also a former member of our very own Walton College Dean's External Advisory Board. So Dina, thank you so much for coming back and spending a little time with us today here at Walton College virtually through this wonderful video and podcast. Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate it. I'm always delighted to give back to the Walton College. Um, you can see the Razorback on the wall behind me. Uh, oh, I'm not an alum. Our daughter is an alum. And so we are, are really delighted, um, uh, you know, to have this conversation with you. So thanks so much. You are very welcome. All right. So let's, let's dive in. And what I want to really focus on in this particular video and podcast is connecting the classroom to the corporation in some really important ways, um, including how do you grow business responsibly? And that has become this really big topic lately, kind of ESG is, is the big buzzword, and that's on everybody's minds. But 20, 25 years ago, 
that wasn't something that was being talked about hardly at all in businesses or in business schools. Um, yet some companies, I think, were early adopters, even if they weren't calling it that. P&G seems to me to be one of those. So tell me a little bit about, well, first of all, whether or not you agree with what I just said. Um, talk about P&G's purpose. How did it shape your career? Were they an early adopter of this responsible growth in business? So, Cindy, I think this topic is so critically important. Um, certainly, as I sit here today after a, a 30, 35 year career, uh, being able to look back at some of the most important parts of my career. And one of those, in my view, was going to work for a company like Procter & Gamble. P&G in the very early days um, had and put together what was called a PVP. It was purpose, values, and principles. And all of our business dealings were expected to live by those purpose, values, and principles. They were in every conference room on the wall. Every employee was actively trained in those. And it was so incredibly important, especially as you start to work all over the world, right? Because one of the things to understand is that all of us grow up in different households in different countries under different social norms. And to get everyone grounded in the same expectations is critically important. Yeah. And, you know, as we think about this, and, and I would like to actually read the purpose that PNG had established because it I think is crystal clear and helps people to understand what is expected. Sure. So the Procter & Gamble purpose is we will provide products of superior quality and value that improve the lives of the world's consumers. As a result, consumers will reward us with leadership sales and profit growth, allowing our people, our shareholders, and the communities in which we live and work to prosper. Yep. And this is at least 30 years old. And so Amazing. It, it is so important. And the core values of PNG, so they, they put together a Venn diagram and the PNG people were always in the middle. And the values were leadership, integrity, trust, passion for winning, and ownership. And I think when you couple all of those things together, you end up with a very clear understanding of what the company expects out of each individual employee, regardless right. of how you were raised, brought up, and in what country. You know, I think most people know, at least in retail, what a strong relationship Walmart and P&G have and, and, you know, much of the alignment there that allows people to have long flourishing careers is, um, is really important. And you mentioned in reading the purpose there, three things you mentioned are people. So the employees, you mentioned the shareholder and the communities that you serve. Those were three of the main constituencies that the business roundtable in 2019, so, you know, 20, 30 years later, finally made um, clear when they redefined uh, in their statement of what the purpose of a corporation was, that, you know, those three constituencies were at the top along with dealing fairly and ethically with suppliers. So my question to you is, P&G was clearly living it many, many years ago. 
Um, Doug McMillan, who now leads the business roundtable, I think has taken much of like Walmart and, and P&Gs and, you know, strong values and principles and, and overlaid that on, on kind of the business uh, roundtable statement. Do you think that switch from stakeholder theory, I'm sorry, from shareholder reign supreme to the stakeholder theory is something that's here to stay? I, I do. Um, you can't be in business just to make profits, right? It's important. We're, we're not in a, a philanthropic type of um, endeavor when you're talking about a for-profit entity. Right. But you also have to understand you're part of an ecosystem. And that is part of understanding, um, making sure that as employees, they're treated fairly and given a, a fair value for the work that they are expected to do, that you do give back to the communities mm -hmm. um, that in which you live and work. Um, and as you think about those types of things, um, it, it's very, I believe, second nature for Walmart. And I can speak to Walmart. I lived there for a long time and um, worked with Doug since he was a DMM. Um, and um, while I never knew Mr. Sam, um, I certainly have heard plenty of Mr. Sam stories um, about when the, the individual who I worked for on the Walmart team, Tom Muccio, um, originally came down in 1986 and connected with Mr. Sam and built what were going to be the the rules of engagement between Procter and Gamble, who was the first vendor in right. West Arkansas, right. and um, Walmart. And again, we lived by those every single day. So yeah. I, I believe there are plenty of companies out there, Walmart and Procter and Gamble included, that have lived these values for 30, 40 years. Yeah, have proven to be a, a company that is built to last. So if you go back to one of those old right. books that I think is a, a, one of the oldies but goodies, if you go back and if as a student, if you all haven't read that book, I believe that Built to Last is one of those classics that um, really makes a difference. And the key is it's all about building on trust and building on um, shared purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're now after P&G, then you went to Saatchi and Saatchi, which was worldwide, and now you're on the board of a public company, uh, but it's actually based in Canada. So this, this public uh, business roundtable statement that we're talking about um, was primarily a U.S.-centric statement um, with U.S. multinational companies. Do you think that same focus applies um, globally to companies that aren't based here in the U.S., like, for example, through the, through the lens of Spendmaster? I, I do. I happen to, I chair the Human Resources Committee. I happen to sit on the Governance Committee um, and uh, of Spinmaster. And we are very focused on understanding and really staying um, very current in terms of um, what is expected of good companies and good governance at companies. And um, I think it varies as you think about each individual company. Yeah. Um, I believe the larger companies are expected to often lead in this area, um, but it's not okay for, in my opinion, for companies to, to really not um, figure out how to continue to go forward in a very positive way for the employees and for the businesses. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that, um, 
has been driven by the transparency that is just like pervasive in our communities and today in, in large part because of, you know, digital media and social media, that transparency and the um, uh, requirements of public companies to disclose quite a bit, I think kind of brings that into the fore. Companies have ESG goals. They, they report on ESG goals. The large companies do, and they, they really think in those ways. They know they're going to be held to a certain standard, if you will, by their shareholders. But what about like private companies? I know you've been with Spinmaster since they went um, public and private companies don't have those same transparent disclosure requirements. So what do you think about the stakeholder theory when it comes to private companies? So I would say it varies all over the place when you're talking about private companies. Um, mm. When you are a publicly traded company, um, your business is very transparent and very clear. I will say though, I've done quite a bit of consulting with some private companies, venture capital owned companies. Uh -huh. And um, I would say far more are interested in this and leaning into it than not today because there is so much pressure in the environment and transparency in terms of um, consumers choosing where they want to spend their money, right? right. Um, and, and where they want to spend their time. And right. so those types of things create a much more level environment in terms of um, profitability for companies, public and private, right? If you don't have consumers that are willing to participate with you, yeah. then you're gonna go out of business pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, I think that's really true. And it makes me think of um, the Edelman Trust Barometer Report. Uh, they just did their 20th anniversary uh, edition of that last year and a, and a couple of different supplements because of COVID. And they weren't focused on public or private private companies, um, as I recall necessarily, but they were just looking at what do you have to do to maintain trust with, with your customers um, and, and found, interestingly, that customers care primarily about a company's ethics and um, their integrity, kind of their purpose and their principles. Um, first and foremost, and that if you don't focus on that, what they found is you're not going to be able to maintain that trust that you just mentioned with your customers. So let's talk about uh, that through COVID. You, you've been in the unique position of being on the board of a public company and having to advise that company on, you know, how do we survive and get through this COVID pandemic? Um, I'm sure there are some real pearls of wisdom <laughs> that you've learned along the way and seen the company kind of work through and struggle, struggle with. So what are some of the lessons that, uh, that you learned uh, by being in that position um, through COVID in terms of figuring out how to maintain that trust with customers and with employees and with, with other stakeholders in general? What are some of the lessons learned? Well, <laughs> I think the first is um, if you can't figure out what's going to happen in the future, you better hope that you have very agile teams, right? right. So agility, um, I think, has become more important than ever, right? Yes. We used to always talk about that in the companies that I worked for. It has been demonstrated over the past year. Yep. And, you know, in fact, some people get really tired of the word pivot, right? Because yeah. everyone is pivoting and figuring out. And again, that's just, in my view, another word for very fast agility is figuring out how to move and which way the puck is going. Yeah. Um, and so th that's one of the things that I think has been, been really important to understand. I would say the other is 
I would say if you are selling a product, yes, and you, I hope, have figured out how to do e-commerce and online and figure out what is the mix. So if we take it back down to Walmart, being in Northwest Arkansas, um, understanding that commerce for Walmart today is omni-channel, right? If one of your students is planning a future to, to work in Walmart, they likely will not work in store or online. They will work where the consumer is present, wherever right. that happens to be at that point in time. Right. And all vendors, including Spin Master, the toy company that I work with, we have to understand that. And yes. we have to make sure that our systems are ready to go regardless of where consumers want to buy our brands. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of where. I totally agree. Correct. And, and I think the pandemic forced forced uh, disruption on all of us to think that way, uh, even more so than maybe we were ahead of time, right? It's like, you have to live the experience to really get it. And we've all had to live it in the last year. It speeded up the learning curve. For yeah, sure. it sure did. <laughs> all right. So we've been talking a whole lot about what I call the macro view of ethics, kind of ESG and, you know, stakeholder theory versus shareholders. But there's this whole other side that when people hear the word integrity or ethics, you know, they, there's the personal side of it. When I call kind of the, the micro view of ethics, um, which is equally as important, um, if not more so on an individual level in terms of how you carry yourself in the workplace and, and um, what you represent um, to those you work with and those you may lead. And you interestingly shared with me a fabulous list of uh, kind of your, your, your top 10, your top 10 list of tips for personal success. And as I was reading through those, Dina, I was just thrilled to see that uh, at least three of them directly, three of 10, <laughs> directly related in some way to ethics or integrity. Um, and so do you mind just sharing a little bit about what you think those three are and, and a story or two about them? Sure. So I put this list together about 10 years ago. Um, the Walton Business School had asked me to come in for a number of speeches with some of the international students, as well as some of the MBA classes. And they just said, you know, people kind of always want to understand how did you get to where you are, right? What did you do? What were your ground? What were what were your grounding purpose? How did you figure it out? And so I literally said, okay, I'm going to put together the 10 parts to me that I would give as the best advice. Um, my kids laugh at me. This was the kind of thing I used to do around the kitchen table, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but since you never listen to your parents, right. <laughs> um, I was able to reuse it for someone that perhaps might listen. So um, I'm going to share with you the three that have been on this list for more than 10 years um, and um, really kind of go deep. Um, yeah. And again, they haven't changed. Some of the stories over time evolve as I gain more experience, um, but they haven't changed. So the very first part and the best piece of advice that I always say to people is make sure you understand what is your character, your purpose, and your personal brand and understand your integrity, right? Is all woven inside of that. Because if you become a disingenuous person, no one will trust you. So right out of the gate, you have to decide who are you. And it's very difficult to be a different person um, at home or in, a, in one company and then change to another company and have a different persona. That's number one. And I could, I could 
when I give this speech, sometimes I talk 15 minutes on this because it is so critically important to understand what you will and won't do. That's right. Um, there are people that feel comfortable with little white lies. I'm not one of those people. Um, yeah. and, and I don't want to work for a company that I think does that. And That's so right. again, you've got to be congruent with the company that you work for. So think about that, um, students, as you're looking at it. Yep. The next part that I felt was very, very important um, is in the words that I always use are decide early and reaffirm often to yourself what you will and won't do for your career. Okay. You will be happier because you cannot optimize every part of your uh, life at the same time. Right. Um, what will you do? Will you lie? Will you tell a company that you're willing to relocate? And then when they're willing, when they're ready to relocate you, you go, I was just kidding. Right. Um, you have to, again, it's connected to number one that I talked yeah, about. It right? is very connected. But you have to know what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. Yeah. Um, I mentioned a couple of minutes ago when we moved to Northwest Arkansas, my husband um, resigned his job and that allowed us the freedom to be able to relocate, to take on this great new opportunity, yeah. bringing marketing to Procter & Gamble Walmart team. Yep. And without that, I never would have had the opportunity. And so, um, but we, we, took, we took some negatives. We took a, a financial hit when we made that decision, right? Um, but it ended up setting us up for a lifetime of being able to follow my career as it continued to escalate sure because did. we had made some of those choices. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, it reminds me when you're mentioning the first one and then this one, thinking about your purpose and talking about it, you know, to yourself, but to others as well. And then deciding what you will and won't do. That harkens back to what two speakers we've had on campus this semester talked about. So we've got a program, you know, let's talk about fraud. And our first two speakers were both former executives at companies who became white collar criminals. And when the yeah. students asked some of the questions about what do you wish you would have done differently, you know, and was it worth it? It was interesting that when I read your list and the two that you've just talked about and having just heard them, how much you two were echoing each other because those two lessons, your kids may not have heard you at the kitchen table. <laughs> But the students heard two speakers say they wish that they would have paid more attention to thinking about their purpose early on, thinking about what they would and wouldn't do early on. And those are the same lessons that they paid forward to the students. So it's, you're right. You cannot overemphasize enough the importance of being very clear about who you are and what you will and won't do and what your purpose is, what your character is and the kind of person you want to be especially in today's world with being on 24 seven, whether yes. someone accepts it or not, our, our ability to be on 24 seven is there. It okay? is. And you know, it is difficult to shut off your life. And what I, what I would say is lives are very integrated today. Yes. And it is, if you are inconsistent in your values, it becomes even tougher to, to be squeaky clean at work and not outside of work, okay? Yeah. Um, you will very quickly be found out, in, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and so 
that would be a, a big piece of advice that I would say to someone. Yeah, that's true. Okay, I think there was one more that, that related one to- One more and it's very quick. Um, I call it the New York Times rule. Um, and what I say to individuals, employees or students or anyone, there are no private conversations other than the ones you have with yourself. Yeah. If you tell anyone anything, you can expect that at some point it could very easily or will likely get out. And this includes um, if you're dating someone, right? And you share something that is, oh my goodness, look at this and we're about to buy this company or we're gonna merge this or this happened, whatever it is, okay? And then all of a sudden you're no longer dating that individual and they go off and casually mention it to somebody, right? Yeah, right. Um, that is your responsibility. Yeah. That's you right. know, a big part of ethics is keeping things confidential that are entrusted to you. Again, right. we're back to that trust word, right? But yeah. I mean, and, it comes right back to it. And, and corporations expect that they can keep confidential information confidential. And so if you find yourself saying something like, well, I'm not supposed to say this, but da, 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 don't yeah. say it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be your first clue. You're headed down the wrong path. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so do you think that those lessons that you wrote, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago that you just shared with me are as relevant today as they were then and will continue to be so in the future? They have served me well. They have served people that I've shared them with well. Individuals who I respect follow these types of, of principles and rules. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, when you, even at this point in my career, as I assess new boards, I have turned down some additional boards because it was inconsistent with my values. So Dina, if you think about the future and think about the future of creating trust, business ethics, integrity, whatever you want to call it on both the micro and the macro level, um, and if you had three words to describe what you think the future of business integrity should be, what do you think those three words would be to sum it up? Yeah. Um, I believe it is more critical than ever. Um, really, so critical is for me key. Um, it's really come to the forefront in all the conversation that we just had over the last bit of time. Um, I believe it also will be more controversial mm. because we are very polarized, at least in the United States right now. Yeah, um, we are. And what I perhaps believe is very clear as a, a purpose going forward, someone else may think is not clear. You're right, yeah. And so, um, you know, just the difference between right and wrong. And you think about some of these ethical dilemmas and how people, different people see them. And so um, this to me is critical. I, I know certainly um, at any company, at any organization, making sure that everybody really is grounded in what the company or the entity believes is kind of the grounding because right. it is, it could be very controversial. And for me, the third is um, consumer facing, okay? Um, I think it's really important to remember that trust 
is not just between employees and entities inside of the company. Yeah. That trust is given yes. and granted yes. based on a consumer buying into your proposition. Yeah. Buying into your brand, believing that when they open, you know, whatever it is, that it's going to be as stated, right? right. And um, that I don't have to worry about whatever, you know, whatever it is, manufacturing processes or yeah. child labor laws or right. whatever it is, yeah. okay? purity standards, whatever it is, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you're dealing with a retailer, same thing, right? You know, what are the principles? What are the, what are the policies? Do I feel good about, do I feel safe in that environment? If I'm going to a brick and mortar store, if I'm, you know, online, are they going to deliver it on time? Is it going to come as packaged as stated? Um, so for me, critical, perhaps controversial and consumer facing. We're facing those are, that's a really interesting take. I, I like that. And I think that uh, certainly sums up where we are at this point in time um, and the things that I think we're going to be facing in the future. That's fantastic. Dina, this has been a very wide ranging conversation. I have enjoyed it immensely. And I know that our audience will benefit greatly from hearing all of your pearls of wisdom, but I like to end these conversations on a fun note as well. Thinking about things that you have read recently, watched recently, or maybe listened to in terms of a podcast that you could recommend. So something for fun that you've done during COVID when you had a little more time on your hands, but that you found also had this ethical dilemma to it. So what is there any recommendation you have of a good podcast series or a good Netflix series or a great new book you've read recently? Sure. Um, so I'd say the best interesting book that, you know, not, not a business book, one that really I just read for interest. I read the Ben Carson story. It's called Gifted Hands. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was just someone referred it to me and didn't really know much about him as an individual. Um, it was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Um, he grew up in Detroit and the ethical dilemma in there is thankfully for him, he had a really strong mother, but his mother never admitted until much later in life that she couldn't read. So she was pushing her two sons to become better and to become strongly educated. Right. And she, for a long time, talked about the fact that she needed new glasses and she couldn't read the words on the page or whatever it was. And so, um, again, with the right intent, uh, but there was definitely an ethical dilemma there. And I, I, I would highly recommend it. It's a, it's a book. And then I found out later it's a movie as well. And ah. um, Cuba Gooding Jr. is in it. And it's okay. really fantastic. So that's one. I would say my favorite TV yeah. or video kind of show right now that I thought had many ethical dilemmas was Queen's Gambit. I don't know if you've seen it. I have. Absolutely. I mean, it is littered with um, ethical dilemmas, probably what a bit of what makes it so interesting. But certainly the fact that, you know, I can't remember the leading character's name, but that she performed better when she was on, I don't know, Quaaludes or antidepressants yeah, or whatever it was. Yeah, whatever it was. Yeah. That unfortunately, uh, you know, according to the storyline, she was forced to take when she was in the orphanage at the beginning. But for me, that was, um, boy, that was, that was something. Um, 
It's an amazing series. It's an amazing series. Yeah. So um, those, those are the two that I think um, for me, I, I would recommend both of those two. Oh, awesome. Well, I can endorse The Queen's Gambit having watched it. And I will add the Ben Carson uh, book and movie to my list. So great. great. Dina, thank you so much for your time and your pearls of wisdom and, and just sharing um, all of the stories. It's just, it's been fabulous. Thank you very, very much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm delighted to do it. And um, thank you again. And hopefully we'll get a chance to visit again sometime. Yeah, I hope so. And thank all of you for listening or watching this podcast today and or the video. And be sure to join us again next week for another guest in the biz, the Business Integrity School podcast video series. See you soon. Bye-bye. Go Hogs. Go Hogs. <laughs>Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.